0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Three Flat Caps and a Whippet, uh, a show with three blokes usually in flat caps, just showing that it's good to talk with the occasional tedious link to mental health. It's really just a little bit of group supervision for us, so apologies to you, Danica, who is our Whippet. I've got joining me, as always, I've got Luke. Hi. all right, Luke? Good. And I've got John. You all right? Yeah, and our Whippet joining us, this podcast, is Danica. You all right, Danica.
1: I am. I've never been referred to as a whippet. I take that, yeah.
0: It's
1: fast, isn't it? <laughs> so, for anybody that doesn't know,
0: the whippet is obviously the guest three flat caps and a whippet. Um, it's not in any way, shape, or form describing you, it's just that's what we decided. It's not we? a
2: derogatory term, no.
0: Yeah, anyway. Um, we'll
1: do that, no, but like, I, w- I would take that as a, a good term,
0: yeah.
1: aren't Fast, that would mean I'd be fast.
0: We'll go for our usual kind of catch-ups, either of you two want to start, let us know what you've had going off since the last session, if there's anything popping up. Uh, Yeah,
2: can do, yeah. We're mainly looking at safeguarding, so there's a lot of risk assessments going on, a lot of things around the school in terms of social what um, what we can actually provide as schools, to how many children, to how it's going to be formatted, whether it's... From September, even, we're thinking now, so whether it'll be half days, full days, two days, weekly, three days, when the deep cleans will be, how the bubbles are going to work. So it's just been pretty mental, really. But actually, for my well-being, it's just good to be back in the building more often, to be honest. Yeah,
0: i found that uh, being back in these this last couple of weeks, even with it just being with, with Luke. Um, you Yeah, I don't know if that's good for my well-being. But it's good I, for anybody's well-being, good. that. I've quite liked being, uh, you know, like you saying, back to, physically back in the building and, and having a little bit more of a room. What about at home? Anything interesting going yeah. off at home? You are getting your garden seeded and sown, your grass, I think, the last oh, time mate, I was
2: Oh, my, my garden is the end of the row. <laughs> <laughs> we're sat in front of a green screen. We're doing this uh, virtually, so if you're hearing noises and stuff in the background, it's because we're, we're recording across um, Zoom. Other things are available but there's a green screen behind me and it's nowhere near as (laughs) green as my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) You can see that behind us, can't you, Danica?
1: Yeah.
2: That's that's a
3: bit pale and pasty, is that behind
0: me. What about you, Luke?
3: Uh, I'm enjoying the, I wouldn't say freedom, but the restrictions being lifted slightly. So personally, obviously, I I think I mentioned this last time, I've I've acquired a motorcycle um, and I've been enjoying the fact that we can now pretty much go anywhere other than um, leave the country just for sort of a bit of respite. So I've been taking myself to some nice viewing points like uh, Top of Leeds Bradford Airport, other airports are available. Um, I've been taking myself to <laughs> some... Not for now. <laughs> not for now. No.
1: <laughs> not for now. <laughs> I've,
3: been, I've, been, uh, I've been getting myself out a little bit on the bike and just uh, enjoying just a bit of freedom really and that, that openness. Um, it's been nice to have... I had my dad in the garden the other day so it was nice to sort of let him see Roxanne and, and the rest of the family. So that's been. that's been a welcome sort of change to the lockdown rules. Uh, again, like Jacob, another change in terms of work is the fact that we've been able to access our office really or the, the space where we do most of our work from. And uh, it's just been nice to get even albeit within two metres of someone, it's been nice to get um, close to people again. Is it now? It's physical distance, not social distance. <laughs> That's it, yeah, it is. Um so yeah, I'm 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 feeling good and I'm, I'm sort of enjoying I'm enjoying everything, all the challenges that we're facing at the minute and
0: yeah. I think for me, it's been nice to get back into the swing of things with, with rugby. I've been uh, been doing a little bit of kind of circuits and training and stuff with the lads and kind of structured it a bit and timetabled it and stuff. So it's, it's been nice, albeit painful. So we've got Danica on, on our show this week. Um, this week, I'm going to have to stop <laughs> saying that. Uh, that's this, idea. yeah, That's the new term, um, I think. Do you want to introduce yourself and just let people know a little bit about yourself? And obviously, one of the things that people may know uh, is that obviously you are a rugby player as well? So that might be a good place to start.
1: Yeah, I am uh, from the other code, though. So it's like being across the Pennines, isn't it? You're Lancashire, and I'm Yorkshire. <laughs> in, uh, in terms of rugby codes, so I play rugby league uh, for Leeds Rhinos. I'm prop forward, but I'm also um, here at Springwell North. I'm back in the swing of things, back in routine. Absolutely loving it. Although I've got to say, I am very tired. I forgot what working full time and getting up was like. So it is brilliant though. I like, I love being back in and actually physically getting in the classroom and teaching again. It's just, it's a bit scary. Do you remember how to do it? But I do seem to be going all right. And, um, yeah, we're still, we're still training virtually at the minute. for Leeds. we've got a, a zoom strength and conditioning session tonight. I've got to get my rucksack packed up for 10 kilos for some other part of it. Um, and then we can start to kind of meet remotely now, which is good. So when you're doing your interval running, at least I can do it with somebody two metres away, screaming at me to carry on rather than crying on my own and trying to get through it. <laughs> but yeah, just back into it and keeping busy, which is a bonus.
0: So how did you get into rugby? I think that's probably a question that's uh, not just me would like to know.
1: Um, well, it's, I actually played rugby when I was in year six or something with all the lads. Um, my teacher, and he works at, works around here now. I don't know somewhere in Yeadon, I think. But then, obviously, back in the day, I'm a bit older than I care to admit sometimes. Um, but then there was nothing for, for women or girls then. So I went to university up in York and said I want to do something that's maverick because I was actually a dancer before, which I thought you can't get much end of the spectrum to rugby and dance. So I was a yeah, classical trained ballet dancer. Yeah, um, I think it was just a dumb thing, wasn't it? Girls do yeah. ballet, boys do football. So, yeah, did that. Um, did a few shows like I've play, I've danced at the Royal Albert Hall, Disneyland Paris. Like, I wasn't just a dancer that went to a school, I would, did, it, did it for a fair few years and then went to university. Decided I needed something different, joined the rugby union team. So, I was a rah rah initially. <laughs> uh, <laughs> joined for the social side and did, I did all right. Managed said, um, ended up joining the team. So, joined West Park in, in Bram Open Leeds, played for Yorkshire, then captained Yorkshire. Um, got into the North of England squad and then what you call the 44, which was then the 44 top players which then compete for England position and then I snapped my ankle. I snapped three ligaments of my ankle and uh, kind of came back 18 months later, a little bit overweight, a little bit more, this is going to be social and then the England coach, 2015, the Rugby League England coach came along and said, do you fancy playing Rugby League? And I laughed at him because I was a big, heavy prop in Rugby Union at the time. (laughs) And um, yeah, that was February 15. And by the July 15, so five years ago this week, remember debut for England Rugby League. Uh, And that's basically how it happened. Very, very fast transition. So I played Rugby Union for about five years and then, I'm five years in Rugby League now.
0: Wow. Crazy. Just thinking about what you're saying about snapping your ankle was what was that like for you and what sort of things were going through your mind when that went off as obviously you said that incline of uh that transition was quite steep and to get to that kind of point and then for something like that to happen what what was going through your mind at that sort of point?
1: it's really weird because I don't really I don't really remember how I felt at the time because I was in university still as well so as well as much as training really hard I was missing out on all the I think it was like the final final year of uni maybe and um so it came at kind of a welcome time in a weird way because I was doing my dissertation, I needed more time and I saw it more of a, a positive rather than a negative and then I could carry on being a true traditional student every Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as it is. So, yeah. So I think actually I, it was a perfect time. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll speak about it, but I snapped my ACL in 2017 just before I flew for the World Cup and that completely ruined me mentally. Um, I absolutely lost it. So I'd playing, like having an injury at the pinnacle of my career, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to overcome, which I think is quite a bold statement. Now, I don't have children, so I've never had that kind of pressure of being a parent or, or anything like that. So yeah, snapping my ACL or t- t- tore my ACL 14 weeks before I flew to the World Cup. That was uh, pretty intense and stressful, but I'm sure we'll uh, touch further on that yeah. As, in terms of, of pressure.
0: It might be a good time. I mean, if you just—if it's all right with you, just to kind of explain how that happened and set the scene a little bit about the game. Potentially, a lot of our listeners potentially want to know, obviously, the game that you were in or how that happened. If that's all right.
1: Yeah. So, the, so initially, I was playing for Bradford Bulls at the time, uh, which is quite ironic because it's the arrival of Leeds. But there were—it's a very kind of loose super league for the women. We were trying a new kind of tier of competition to kind of promote for this world cup and it was 2017 so the world cup year and in the Jul- like july we'd flown out to france and i probably played the best two games of rugby for england and the england coach said to me continue on this form and you've got a starting shirt in the world cup in november so i was like absolutely brilliant came back and then 10 days later he came to a club chess session the last minute i got tackled notoriously quite difficult to get down so it takes three or four girls So more often used as tackle tech and then I tore my ACL just partially. Look, well, I say partially, but it was quite horrendous. But then went to the surgeon and he said, look, I'll try and sew it together. You've got six weeks to prove to me you're, you're fit enough. And then you have to prove that you can get on the, the plane. So had the operation. He, he fastened me back together, literally stitched my ACL back together so I didn't have a reconstruction. And then from literally from the operating theatre to getting on the plane was exactly 14 weeks. Wow. So then flew out to Australia, amazing was in the World Cup and then came back and signed Philly Dry Nose and Heddenley Stadium is my favourite stadium in the whole wide world and it was May 27th and uh, we were playing at Heddenley Stadium for the first time there again on a bit of a roll playing a really good game I think we were 24-12 up and I had to help set up three of the tries 65th minute uh, got tackled uh, not, a, not a nasty tackle and then this I don't know if anybody's ever torn a ligament but it makes a noise yeah. it sounds like a, a, a gun going off and I knew straight weight. It was a little bit weaker anyway. And that was it. Um, so yeah, 2018, snapped that. And I, would, I want to say something really dramatic, like my life literally crumbled, but it did feel like a hole opened up. Mm-hmm. And the only way I've ever been able to describe it is I would rather if somebody died because you're allowed to mourn that, if that makes sense. You're allowed to mourn somebody's death, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Whereas with an injury like an ACL, which is potentially career-ending, People just say to you, oh, you'll be all right. Oh, you'll come back. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And you're kind of not allowed to cry or be upset about it. Um, and then it took me three months to get my operation. So I had my operation on my birthday, which is 11th of September. Kind of note that down. Yeah. That one. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially uh, got my new ACL for my birthday. And then nine, eight weeks, and th- eight months and three weeks after my operation, a year to doing it, May 26, 2019, I made my comeback after probably wow. the hardest journey of my life.
3: This, and I, and yeah. I don't think you should underestimate the 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 effect that snapping something like that has on your mental health, especially when you're playing at a, sport, at a sport at a high level like yourself. I'm only an amateur footballer, but I snapped my ACL as well. There was a few nodding heads in this room when you were talking about snapping your ACL. <laughs> I snapped mine and I remember that instant. You said that, that feeling, it, it'd be easier to mourn somebody than that feeling that you've got. I was 26 when I did my ACL and I genuinely thought I will never play football ever again. And that, that pit that I yeah. felt in my stomach, that emptiness, and for that full year when I was in recovery, I was I was a bit of a shambles really, and literally just from that one injury, it made me feel
2: horrendous. I've, I've not done it. any tendon touch wood, any tendons are. Um, mine was a hamstring, so I went. I played a someone played a through ball. I was playing up front. I ran through my, my right hamstring completely went. So I, I I started to slow down, but as I was hopping on my left leg, my left one went. Oh. Not as bad. But um, so I had like a grade, oh. I, had, I had like a grade two tear on my left, but bing, my, bing. my right one was—I mean, the back of my leg was just black <laughs> with the with the bruise and the blood. I had about eighteen months physio. Actually, I don't know if you'd know it. It was Karen May. She was a month's oh. physio, and she was based up at Cookridge when I did it. But that was when I was sixteen. That was yes, a years ago. Um, so yeah, I went to see Karen May. I've
1: heard, yeah, I've heard of from the system.
2: Um, and then that with that, but yeah what what sort of pre i mean i I've got a sort of obviously some understanding of the pressure of trying to get back on a field again after something like that, and obviously Luke has as well, but how do again, because you're playing at such a higher level, what sort of pressures were you going through Because you said it was eight months and three weeks after the operation, yeah,
1: not that was counting
2: <laughs> yeah well yeah but, and that, and that's the thing, and that's another testament I think to just how much it. it it plays a part. You do remember those things. I mean, I remember it was 18 months of on and off physio and doing things in between, getting told at the beginning I I was stud and walked like a Neanderthal man because of my back and my hamstrings pulled so tight. Um, What sort of pressure did you put on yourself or did you think or perceive that the pressure was on you from your club or your coaches to get back to full fitness?
1: Well, I think when I just tore it before the World Cup, I went into kind of a very selfish very driven training mode. And I think the rehab then was fine. But when I actually did my ACL, I was just playing for Leeds. People said to me, you've been in the world cup now you've played at the highest level. Why don't you give it up? Why don't you coach now? And I've, I've grown up with three brothers and I was, I'm not very good at being told what to do. And I think the pressure that I put on myself was to prove people wrong more so than get back to the game because I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now, so I don't really need to play. you know, I am, Considered quite old and very old in the sport. So I've only been back a year. So I didn't need to play again, you know, and people were right. But I don't think it's for me, it's that what if, like what if I hadn't tried? Would I always think what would I like if I could play again? Or so I think I had to play again just to see if I wanted to or if I could, or the mental kind of hurdle of getting over the injury and playing again, just stepping out, just to trust yourself. Yeah. So trust your leg, trust yourself, trust people around you. Are you still any good? Can you still play? Can you still run? So that I put a lot more pressure on myself rather than the coaches and stuff like that. And the sport I got from Leeds Rhinos was incredible. I think I only missed two training sessions, and that was the Tuesday I had the operation and the Thursday after. And by the Sunday I was back out on the side of the field watching them play. Wow. So in the whole time I only missed two training sessions because I'm and it, it wasn't the case of, I'm really dedicated, I want to prove that I am. It was more of a, A, what am I missing, missing out on? B, I need the rehab and I need the gym. And C, I want to make sure that I understand every play they're doing, every move they're making. So well, when I do get out there, I still understand everything. That's and it was never...
3: Character and professionalism. Because um, like it's so painful recovering from an ACL injury, so hats off to you for uh, getting <laughs> back into the fold and, and putting the pressure on yourself to get back into the fold.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's the only way. Have, it's a focus thing, isn't it? You need a goal. Like I, I need a goal, and, and now especially now with the Super League being suspended, I'm really struggling to train because I've got no idea. I haven't got a date of when I'm coming back, yeah. so my training has really taken a hit. Maybe because maybe because it's the first time I had a proper off season. I don't I don't know, but um, you're just having that goal of and I knew I wanted to get back under the year or within the year. So May twenty sixth, twenty seventh was always my um, kind of goal to get back as well. Which they told me nine months. So Ryan Hall and Callum Watkins, who both played for Leeds, did their ACLs around the same time as me, and I got back and successfully got back a week before Ryan Hall did, mm-hmm. and. Continue to play well. I think Callum was back early, but he only played one game before he had to take another four weeks off. Ryan almost Ryan Hawk him. massive ACLs though.
3: Guys' <laughs> legs are absolutely <laughs> <weird. Yeah. laughs>
1: right, don't don't take us away from the fact that I beat them both back to playing yeah, alright. Well <laughs> yeah, but he has got the most ridiculously sized legs in the world. So <laughs> so yeah, that was just goal driven, I think. And once you've got a goal and you've got a date, then it makes it a little bit easier to carry on, doesn't it?
0: I'm just picking up on what you're saying there about not having a, a target or a goal at the moment. Obviously, with what's going off with the current climate and, and COVID and everything. A similar sort of story to yours, I suppose. My partner, Francesca, she's... Um, she comes from a dancing background, but Irish dancing rather than ballet, and she competed at a really high level at like that, three times world champion and all that sort of business. She got huh? kind of bullied by her friends to start playing rugby union with us at Barnsley, and then she's now gone over to uh, Trinity and started playing for Trinity. Um, there's a bit more of a challenge in it. Well, there's another challenge. I know Luke sticking his thumbs down because he's mm. doing like with. I'm a Rhinos, but obviously, I live with her. I
1: cannot wait for that game.
0: Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> we'll, we'll all be there. Um, <laughs> we'll be on your team. What in.
1: position does she play?
0: Well, she's, she's obviously just transitioning. She's really good, though. Um, she's playing wing and fullback. I think, I think they want her to play nice. fullback, but we'll see. She's quite um, athletic and, and fast, so she's, she, she tries to use that. Are you giving
2: Danica inside the tips here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll turn up on my... Me, Lee's
0: right shirt on. It's all right, we can keep going. Um <laughs> what, what I was saying, I suppose what I was trying to say is that um she's saying the same sort of thing, and she's really struggling with with the kind of fact well, the fact that the league's being suspended and whatnot. And um, they're doing the same thing, yeah. training and all that sort of business, but losing the motivation and the focus but on like openly honestly, because there's you don't know what's happening. Um, what sort of things do you, are you doing or what things have you done when you've had your injuries that keep, keep you kind of pushing forwards or even when you don't have that specific goal, what sort of things do you do to keep yourself hooked into it?
1: Well, I've got no option at the minute because we've, um, as much as we're not professional, these runners have been very particular about us keeping up our training. So we have training plans sent out every Monday. Um, we've got to all download an app. We have to log it when we've done the workout. If you don't log it, you basically say your name in the middle of a group and you're, you're being made accountable for everything that you do at the minute, which is which is great. It's just hard to, especially now the weather's turned, you know, and get yourself out. So tonight we've got to go for a three or five K run at six o'clock. And then at six, 8 we've got a zoom strength conditioning session. Um, which lasts about an hour. And because we don't get to do them through the week as often or as intently, they're actually really difficult sessions and I'll feel it tomorrow. But, um, and then Saturdays is a 3K time trial to make sure that you, it's like a bit of a fitness testing thing to carry on checking that we're out and grooving. So we're being made accountable as a group. And like when, if just say the league resumes and we go back in July, August for pre-season, you know, it's a case of we haven't been given shirts or squad numbers yet. Uh, you know, nobody's been decided who starts or anything like that. We haven't had a, a preseason game or anything, so everything's still up for grabs for us. So, I guess in a way, that's that's my motivation that I do have to hold on to every now and then. And I got given the heritage number uh, number eight, and our shirt number last season was number eight. And the likelihood of me keeping that this season, with the new girls coming through, with the England squad is quite slim. But my motivation now is to be in the best possible shape to to compete for that, so I know when the shirt number eight shirt's been given to. One of the other prop girls that's coming through in the England squad. At least I know I've. I don't mind it going to somebody that's better than me, if that makes sense. Yeah, as long yeah. as we've both worked hard, I'm. I'm a bit kind of relaxed, in this, not relaxed because I'm not relaxed because I'm highly struggling about training and getting out there. But I'm happy about the shirt goes as long as the shirt's earned and whatever's you know whoever's wearing it has earned it. Then that's fine. So, but I still want it. It's my shirt. <laughs> <I> <laughs> perfume I'm, prob- I'm probably going to be number like 23 now. I'm not the oldest in the squad now, and they're like weaning me out (laughs) Um, but I still yeah that's my that's my motivation to keep going and that's how we kind of keep I'm I'm glad we do have that I think we have a lot more than other clubs do which are great do you say grateful for because sometimes not so much (laughs) (laughs) I suppose but that's what we that's that's it
0: One last question I'd ask you before we kind of move on to how you got into teaching and SEMH specifically is do you get does there an emphasis on kind of well-being and checking in with you with uh, the rugby side of things because when I've listened to things in the past uh, one of the reasons that we started this is because I listened to a couple of different podcasts and I thought there was there was obviously well I wanted to chat with these and offload more than anything but on one of the ones that I listened to I don't know if you listened to it, House of Rugby. They spoke about um, in the England setup, I think it was again, it's union, obviously, but the, the the emphasis that over the kind of last ten years has changed in a sense of checking in with players on physically how they are. So, like on a rating scale, they check in with how how they are physically in terms of injuries or how they feel, energy wise, and all that sort of stuff. But also how that's changed in terms of checking in uh emotionally and kind of with well-being as well is there an emphasis on that um in in your sport and in your code and stuff
1: yeah hugely so uh in the england setup every morning if you're in england camp every morning is let's say eight thirty. we call it the well-being check-in so you fill in a it's a an online it's a bit like a google docs type of thing so it, every morning you fill it in and then it kind of collects all the data and stuff and it accounts for you over the week but it's um how have you slept how are you feeling um any aches and pains anywhere any thoughts you thought you know thinking about do you need to speak to somebody and england do that uh, well that's the england setup as well as your normal testing every morning so that was a morning check and you had to do it in the morning and if you did well you just didn't not do it because <laughs> it wasn't even worth the you know the the side effects from the coach for that but then uh at Leeds Rhinos we're really lucky, I think, because we're under the umbrella of Leeds Rhino's and not the community teams. We have um we have a well-being um guy there who's specifically there for wellbeing and kind of counselling and stuff. A guy called Fats and well he's not called Fats, but that's what we call him. Um and he's there for anything. So in terms of like it could be rugby related, it could be general life related, we've got access to him, we've got his phone number. So he dropped us a message saying, Look, how's it going? And How's lockdown treating? I was like, I'm not made for lockdown. I feel like I'm made to work in this kind of school setting because I need to be active. I need to keep going. I need to be out. I'm very social. i um, I like doing. My weeks are always packed with seeing people or training or doing things. So it was the first few weeks. I was like, I don't really know what to do myself. I I can't sit and watch a, a TV series or anything like that. You know, and um, and he was just brilliant for that. So that he was awesome, and and I can't thank leads enough that they we have access to him. And the same thing now with um, Sporting Chance, which is just a general sports um, kind of counsellor for any kind of sport. They gave us the start of the Super League, well, the launch of the Super League. They come and everyone takes their number. And again, you've got access to them at any point you want. And it's literally, you can decide whether you want to text them and talk to them via text, or you want to speak to somebody, which is amazing. Mm. So I think the women's side of things as well, they've really kicked off and really had this focus on on well-being. Because let's face it, I mean, as much as I'm a woman, I'll admit it. We love a bit of drama and a bit of, <laughs> you know, the women are not yeah. afraid to hide their emotions either. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on. And like, we've got, we've got parents, we've got women with kids and stuff like that. So we, they have different pressures and things like that. And then before the world cup, my England coach said, you don't back yourself enough. You need to realize you deserved a place. And I had a lot of, I mean, my, my, road into rugby league was, wasn't easy and I was a rugby union girl who just came got named within a month got named in the England development squad three months later I've named in the England team so I've had a lot of stick coming through rugby league and um, lots of people suggested that I made my way by favours with certain coaches and things like that and that's how for the first three years of my rugby league career people used to see me rather than my talent for the sport So my England coach in 2017 said, you need to see somebody about this. And so for six months, I had a sports psychologist, which was probably the best thing I've ever done. So I got this sports psychologist in 2017. And it wasn't anything, you know, when you've never had, uh, I've never had counseling before. I've never spoken to anybody. So you always have that kind of, I've grown up with three brothers um, in a very, you hide your feelings, you hide your emotions, you don't speak about stuff kind of environment. And so I was thinking that I have to sit on a couch, put my feet up. But he's going to tell me stuff, and it wasn't like that at all. It was a lot of drawing on a whiteboard, like two columns: draw what, write down what you're good at rugby, what what things you're good at in rugby. So I'd write them down. What things you're not so good at, and I'd write them down. And then he basically just married the two off. He's like, "Well, you contradicted yourself here. Give me an example of this." So, um, and then he gave me some like sheets to do, like these um, emotional board sheets to do of how I felt after a game or make myself so I could take that to the next session and it got to a point where I was like I finally and I think it was about four weeks before I went to the World Cup I finally was like I deserved to go into a World Cup and he was like my job here is done see you later and I'm like Ross don't leave me like come back <laughs> um, <laughs> and then he just Ross has then come on board at Leeds Rhinos right? so he um, is the psychologist for the the women's the men's and the academy teams as well now so somebody that I really trust and I know I can talk to and I know somebody who knows me really well. It's that really nice feeling of of having somebody there to, to chat. And it was just by chance that he, he's come to the age where I know. So, um, yeah, best thing I ever did. And it was nice to believe that I actually deserved to go to a World Cup.
2: That's it. That's great. So you've alluded to before, like the, the biggest thing that you're missing at the minute is the relationships, the spending time with people, the being out and about, the being... Active And then you've just mentioned something there about trust. Do you think that these are some of the reasons why you've gone into sort of the SEMH side of teaching? Because obviously with us three sat here and and you sat at the other end, we kind of, we we know that within teaching relationships and trust is massive anyway. But within SEMH, we have, you know, a really, really sort of vast experience of how much more, that matters to these children that we deal with. So going back to the original question, because I see we've procrastinated, is, <laughs> is, 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 that, is that link and that sort of experience with trust and that the relationships outside of the things that you've done prior to teaching and SEMH, was that a big part of, do you think, even subconsciously of you going into this career profession?
1: Yeah, massively. Absolutely. So I was in um, mainstream before the World Cup and during the World Cup and um, the pressure there to... I was head of PE, um, a large academy chain in Bradford. And when I came back, I just got things thrown at me. And uh, we, we, had a, we had a small branch there of kind of like the... I can't remember what the hub was called, but it was my favourite place to be. You know, and you were having a rough day, you'd go spend an hour down there, and whether I was reading, doing maths or whatever. And I realised... Um, that's what I wanted to do. And that was my forte was, I, I love teaching, but I, I'm not very good at teaching really academically bright children because of the way I teach. I think I'm much more of a, um, I like to chat, I like to go off on a bit of a tangent. I like to relate things back and I understand the pressure of academics and teaching in high achieving academies where it just needs to be the content of a lesson, the content of the exam and that's it. And I don't think you build a rapport really or a relationship with students because the pressure on you to teach and the pressure on them to learn is just too great. If it's like a normal day and obviously we're not in this COVID lockdown, I'll flip between pods because, and it's not because I, I want to go and, and sit and chat to the teachers because I want to go and sit and chat and like play rugby with the kids or I, I might teach them maths or I might do a bit of art, a bit of dancing, a bit of just relieving somebody else and running around and maybe just a big kid at heart maybe. And I think that's a massive part of working here. So, we've i know especially them coming back now it's quite i don't know if you found it where you are but it's quite a an overwhelming clinical environment to be in because it has to be and it's not necessarily the relaxing environment that they're used to so it's been a case of like sitting and chatting to them and then you know they're starting to make a joke now of we'll change classes over they'll do a different lesson about like, wait i am dirty i may be carrying i need to go wash my hands now and do you know that kind of camaraderie and they're now relaxing the environment and they're, they're taking the mick out of and I think being able to make them feel comfortable like that is a massive part of, of what I do and you, I forget how much I love teaching you know, it's only been 12 weeks and I, I am tired I'm not going to deny any of that but I'm also much happier you know it, it's brilliant being back as much as we've only got a small bunch of kids back here now you know you can see how much happier they are being in a routine and I think that just makes it you know I, I've worked in a couple of, of schools alternative provisions and things and yeah, each time I, I realize the importance of it, and I think more so as well. I love learning, and so I'm I'm learning how to teach differently all the time. Yeah. And no day is ever the same, really, is it? And I think that there's there's structure, and there's routine, but there's also that unknown every single day.
2: Do you think um, just sort of like with the way that things are, it's more clinical? But what I've noticed sort of in my end is um, some of the children who who maybe would have dysregulated far more often are not now because the classes are smaller and because they're finding that the is there. And actually I think, because we're talking about pressure, I think there's less pressure academically, you know, sats aren't happening this year yeah. and things like that. So actually what I'm seeing is, is children who would not normally thrive in a mainstream same ah, because of the size of the classes and because of the, the attachment that they're seeking, they can actually now, Get what they need from that. Is it being like that for you?
1: I totally agree. And I've set some maths work for some of the other pods that I'm not in, and it was like Adam Bell, who's a music teacher, has sent me a picture of him teaching. I was like, I'm now going to put maths on my my CV, and he even even he's excited that he's delivered some kind of maths lesson as well. Said he really enjoyed it. You know, I've I've gone in quite loosely with the sense that we're we're doing maths, but it's not a very structured papers. It's not questions. It's more of this investigations and exploring stuff. And no, I've really enjoyed being in the classroom. I enjoy it anyway, but you know, I've had to be like, Oh no, I need to plan more work now. Cause although I'm not, you know, there's no pressure to do anything. Like you say, the, the kids are more relaxed. They're more willing, the more, you know, there's none of that kind of distraction around because there are smaller classes. There's practically one-to-one in some classes as well, which is great, but we, we're flying through work. And I'm like, mm. this is a whole new environment in a sense where, if there were examinations and qualifications, you know what, in this next six weeks, I'd actually be able to get loads done with them because they're so compliant and I think it's just a bit of routine, a bit of normality. You know, kids that come from lots of, you know, from big families are now getting a bit of a, attention and stuff that they need and and it's just been great. I, genuinely, the environment when you walk around is brilliant. Mm. You know, there was a bit, I was a bit scared last week when we were setting everything up and we were drawing lines on floors and, and signage and stuff and I was a bit worried but, it's working really well, and everyone seems seems happy, and it's just a really nice place to be, so I can't wait to start introducing a few more kids in.
2: Certainly a big advertisement for uh, smaller classes, mm-hmm. I like, think. Yeah, place, huge. But, yeah. Uh, some of the positives for yeah, it. especially with the mainstream. I know, like, like you're saying, even smaller classes in AP, it's working a tree, I think, across the board. So yeah. over the years, classes have got to 34s, 35s, the I think it's definitely a big advertisement. Actually, a bigger picture yeah. in education that if we want to take the pressure off the the children and the adults to achieve those better grades, then smaller classes is one way to do it. I
0: think uh, I want to kind of link the two things that we've talked about. Really, I think that there's not a clear split. It seems that your passion for both kind of rugby uh, and and teaching in SMH uh, are intertwined. <laughs> which is great. But I suppose I've got a twofold question, which is kind of how do you feel pressure? Uh, and is there a difference to that in uh, walking out on the on the pitch, or headingly uh, or wherever that might be to kind of stepping into a classroom or being in that work environment? Is there a difference in those two pressures? How do you feel that um, in your kind of day to day?
1: I think pressure for me comes in kind of two forms. one, is um, the need to kind of succeed but not in a sense for myself but uh, so on the field obviously I've got a job in rugby I need to do a job I'm a prop so my job is to have big carries uh, game meters and do a very small job which is quite not easy as such but there's not much to it it's not very difficult the pressure in um, in teaching is to take a subject take some kind of knowledge and make sure that's talk to the children properly and they're learning and they're being able to them it's the retention side of it as well isn't it and how am I doing that and the other side of the pressure is are people kind of either in teaching enjoying it? like do I am bothered whether the kids like me or not yeah. and that's a massive thing for me and I'm not ashamed to admit it but there's there have been very few touch wood if I'm lucky that kids have said I hate you or would it not be you know kind of a um an angered type of thing. I don't think I've been disliked by too many kids I've taught, which I'm really proud of, but also I put that pressure on myself to make sure that the way I teach and the, the relationships I build kind of make sure that kids enjoy being in the environment that I'm on. And also the pressure from rugby on that side is impressive. I guess it's similar, impressing the coaches enough to get selected. So am I doing enough to kind of keep people happy and impress them? So that's both. But I think... I think in rugby, the pressure is you've got to go out there. You can do a bit of research about the team you play in. You know how to play. You've got, you know, I'm, I'm a prop, so the pressure's off me, I would say. It's more on the, the organisers of the game and the halfbacks and things like that. And am I doing my job for that, however much time I'm in? In teaching, and especially in the setting that we're in, am I, have I got the right content that suits that child? Can they learn that? Is it different to somebody else? But then the other side of that is you have to go and make sure that you know how the children are feeling that day and it's not always possible so anything could happen. If I was to go in the environment and I was needed to help and deregulate a child, am I saying the right things? Am I doing the right things? You know, what might work one day, what won't work the next day because they're feeling a different way or they've got... And for me, that pressure, I would never want to do something that doesn't kind of help the situation or help the child mostly. And I think that's the biggest pressure I have. That's the biggest... I don't know if it's a pressure if it's a fear. Yeah. I don't want to do anything wrong. It's not, you know, people think you do things wrong. But for that child at that time, you know, do they need just to go for a walk and a talk? Do they need that kind of um, tactile kind of intervention as well? Mm. Or, you know, do you need to leave them alone completely? And it's picking that right situation in the split second. And that's the biggest pressure I want. And it's not for for myself, but it's for their well-being, really. Um and I think I just that's just the way I am. And I i just want to make sure that they are happy and as secure and as happy they can be. And I'm on the field. Am I doing enough for my team to make sure that we can be successful? So it does overlap, but in a bit of a very weird link.
0: <laughs> yeah. Does that ever manifest in kind of physical feelings or emotions? Because I, I don't know if I'm asking that question in the right way in a sense of, how do you feel pressure so when you like when you're in a scenario of I don't know a tricky game or a challenging scenario, a challenging scenario at work are you consciously thinking about I want to get this right and what does that physically feel like or um, what emotions do you think you might experience during that
1: I think because of the way I, Ross helped me before the World Cup I'm very good at reflecting so in the moment you do it mm. and you hope you make the right decision in the moment don't you but I've cried <laughs> I've cried a couple of times um, but from frustration so reflection is massive for me so in a game that's easy to do you can watch analysis so I have a really funny thing on the pitch that Ross taught me so when I make a mistake I drop a ball so say if I did that in the 10th minute it would ruin me for the rest of the game so I have this thing now in rugby where if I make a mistake and it's quite it's quite a personal thing but I'm going in for it now and I will walk in a circle so I will essentially walk out of the room and walk back in again and I have to leave that mistake at the door. And that's the same thing I do here. You know, I reflect and, and then I think I'm, I'm great at talking to people now. I never used to be. But I'll sit, I share an office with, with Sally who teaches English and I'll sit and I'll just say, this happened today. I'm not sure if I did it right. Or I'll go speak to somebody else and, and talk through. And nine times out of 10, it's just as soon as you've spoken, I've talked it through and you're like, maybe I wouldn't have done that. Or actually it was fine. You feel loads better, don't you? Mm-hmm. And I think if you take that away and... I'm just, and I think that's down to Ross in the 2017, is reflection is massive for me. And I think that and it kind of doesn't write wrong, says it, but it makes sure that you appreciate what you've done and whether you've done it right or wrong, you know, next time you may do it differently or not. And that's both on the field and in the classroom, I think.
3: I love that strategy of walking around and just sort of taking <laughs> you yourself mentally out of the space you're in. I'm definitely going to try that next time I'm in that, that challenging situation myself. Um,
0: it resonates with me quite a lot, that. Would you, was that something that you came up yourself or was that something that he gave you?
1: No, so we had to think about it. So some people, uh, there's, you can see, and now I know about it, I see it a lot more. So if you watch that like, professional rugby, some people will wipe their hands as if they're cleaning the hands. Some people might grab the badge. Some people actually physically wipe their hands on the floor. Like, it was kind of a case of finding what suited me and I tried loads of things out. And one day I just, I remember dropping the ball and I walked away from it, had a little bit of a word with myself and then walked back in and I explained this to him. And then he kind of explained the analogy of it. Um, and it's something that I shared with with my England team because I said, look, it's is going to have to be my strategy now. You know, we used to share quite a bit with each other. And I remember when <laughs> I think we were playing against the Cook Islands and Lois Farsell, who's you know, I've played with for years, I walked out and she was like, will you walk back in and out a bit quicker? We need to go. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm having a reflection moment here. No. So even that, you know, even people know about it, they still let you do it, which is great. But yeah, I mean, I don't need to go around four classrooms before I do it. It's literally a few steps, three, three or four steps around in a circle. So is that what yeah, um... it works wonders.
2: That, that's what tennis players will do with towels, isn't it? So when they go back and they, they go for a towel, they don't necessarily need that towel. Potentially, yeah. When they go mm-hmm. back, it's that, sim- that symbolic to sort of message. Rub by the, self or wipe it the towel or wipe the self down yeah. or something with the towel. It could be something along those lines. I Nadal, every time it was a bit like Johnny Wilkinson who yeah. set himself up for a kick the same every time. Nadal oh. does. He has like a routine. Yeah. You know, so he, got, he has a proof. going through. Which I suppose when we're talking, it's not the same when because you're we're currently talking about mistakes. I'd imagine with when, when Nadal and, and Johnny, that process is to reduce that pressure and to make it more of a systematic process, so that it, it takes out that emotion sort of out of it. I reckon in that mm-hmm. sort of big level. I was listening. Um,
0: it's interesting you spoke about Johnny Wilkinson there. I was listening to one of the other podcasts. Is that the only
2: person that any rugby league fan knows who plays rugby? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Other rugby union players are out there, but I don't know <laughs> Surely you know Farrell. <laughs> oh, yeah, Farrell. Is he the Welsh guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mate, I do not know rugby union at all. Okay. Sorry. I mean, what I was going to say is it's interesting that you mentioned Johnny Wilkinson. I was listening to one of the other podcasts that are out and about, about rugby the other day. And somebody that had played with him said that he put so much pressure on himself that it restricted his, his kind of performance. And the pressure that then came as a result of that, I, he said in, when he played with him and he felt trust within his team, he kind of just opened up and was much more expressive as a player. So I suppose the question I'm going to ask you is: How important is it that people know those little things that you that you do to reset yourself? And how important is trust in that aspect? Because if I I can understand from my perspective, because being in a team, I put pressure on myself more when I don't trust the people around me as much. And I think that's yeah. what they were explaining when they were talking and when they were explaining about playing with Johnny. How, how important do you think that is, you know, from your perspective?
1: Oh, it's, it's massive. So I didn't really appreciate this, but Chris Chapman, who was my first, well, my only England coach, he was about marginal, marginal gains. So it would be down to, he would tell a half, so it was like oh, Danica likes the ball around chest height. And I was like, do I? And it was like, he did 10 passes at waist height and 10 passes at chest height. And I'm more successful with a slightly higher ball. It was like she so needs to know that she likes the ball higher up, and therefore she's going to catch it more often, and therefore she's not going to walk around more often. And it was like, what? like that's a real coach, isn't it? That's somebody that can pick that up so quickly. Okay. And so it was a case of you had to go around, and it was a, it was one of these like sessions, like a circle session, where everyone had to say. So one of the halves preferred it when you were quite flat with her. Another half preferred you'd been wider out. And it's quite difficult because essentially then you're learning so many different parts of people but then that's where the trust comes isn't it because as soon as you start reacting to that and helping them they trust you more and I think I would say that off the back of 2017 that's the most I've ever trusted a team yeah. and, and I see the New England squad being announced and I'm, I'm not I don't know I don't, I don't, if I don't trust them I've never played with half of them so I don't know but I'm like is that a good enough squad do they know each other well enough are they being taught the same are they being coached the same and I think that makes a massive impact on how you play because we, I think the 20, 2017 we lost a game which we shouldn't have lost and we had a big circle. It was a case of why and one of the girls said, I, wasn't, I didn't trust my inside person wow. and that was it, was, it was kind of like a revelation but also like, but why? We didn't, it wasn't like harsh, it was like, why didn't you trust them? Yeah, you know, and, and it was like, I, I haven't played with them in, in the people move around. It was just, it was just simple as simple as I haven't played with them inside me before. Yeah. And it was like, it makes a massive difference. So if you can just concentrate on your game and trust, trust everyone around you, then you've only got you to worry about
2: I think how you play. So. I think that transfers to football as well. So you talk about, you know, great strong yeah. partnerships in football where they'll, they'll always say, well, I trust them. I know where they are without looking. Yeah, no and then, and then that, that kind of also, I think, in a way, explains how we see people like Torres going from Liverpool to Chelsea for all that money. And it not clicking. Not working. So, you know, how does, a yeah. player, how does a player who was at the peak of his career, who was scoring, you know, fantastic and frequent goals for Liverpool, go to Chelsea, who's just, you know, at that point, they, they were almost level in terms of going from one team to another. How does he not score goals? How is he such a, in the media's term, a flop? Mm-hmm. And, and it could come down just to that. The club doesn't fit, he doesn't feel trusted, he doesn't trust his players around him, he doesn't feel like he's connected to them, he doesn't feel like he's connected to the club. It starts to when you look at it, I think, you know, it starts to make perfect sense about this pressure and about how trust and relationships play such a massive part in that. A drawback to
0: kind of it's completely a million miles away, obviously, from playing the Super League and and Premier League football, but a drawback to being at college. I play with uh, mates that I went to school with and I play with friends that I've now got that I now play first team rugby with. And when we were at college we were probably the most successful team in the north of England. But we spent every minute of every day together. Yeah. And even, you know, the transference of third, maybe half of the players in that team it threw up into senior rugby, and it's not the same. Because of the mix of other people within that and people coming in and out and you don't have that, then trust and relationship in the same extent which then in turn knocks on to kind of people putting that pressure on. i feel i put pressure on myself when i when i haven't got that trust like i said previously. yeah
3: danica i'm curious to know you've explained uh, really well how you've learned some things from the psychologist in particular in rugby to help you deal with pressure in rugby um is there anything you've learned from him or from playing rugby to help you deal with pressure that you've transferred into the classroom? And equally, have you learned anything working with children in SEMH that you've taken into rugby um, that's helped you helped you in rugby?
1: Yeah, I think it's more so what I've learned from here to take me into rugby than the other way around, really. And the biggest thing, I think, is because I, um, I, I, I struggle with people that don't work hard in rugby. <laughs> so I don't understand that. If you're on my team, I'm going to put my all in. It's that kind of like, I, you know, I've got your... I've got your back, so why have you not got mine? Yeah. And I think that, you know, the different pressures people have, the people in different environments. And, and honestly, it's only been this year since I've really started to understand the different environments that I've kind of appreciated that. And I've in some, I've been the voice of the reason sometimes, and the coaches have gone, why are you not working hard? And I just said, have you stopped and spoken to people about what's going on? Brilliant. So I said to the, one of the coaches around me, and she was like, what? And I just said, I am really struggling with working from home we were doing home visits and and whatever else and phone calls I'm really struggling with motivation I said have you stopped and asked people how they are rather than just saying you've not done your Tuesday training your Thursday training and that's just a small example but you know we've got in my team I'm playing with with 16 and 17 year olds so one minute I've literally I go from teaching here and two hours later I mean, I'm on a field with a similar age kid, basically, but they're not. They're my my teammate, you know, and and language is different. The way we treat them is different. And I've had to remember that a lot of people remember that just think that they're the teammates. But I kind of think I'm much more conscious of the fact that they want to be teammates. They want to be older. They want to be part of the group that go out socially. And I've kind of adapted myself completely. And they're not in a, a negative, it doesn't have any derogatory effect on my rugby or how I am. But I think it makes them feel a lot better. We had one of the girls that was 17 and she was really struggling for training. And this time last year, I was horrible to her, but I didn't appreciate why she wasn't working hard enough, why she wasn't doing something. But oh, she must be 18 actually, because she'd just found drinking, she just started going out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you can understand why. Like, you're like, I love more than anybody. Uh, you know, I'm missing the pub a bit. But I was like, I need to stop saying to her, you're, you're unfit, you're not working hard enough to say in. Ellie, mate, do you fancy going for a run together or do you fancy doing some extras together? Yeah. And it ended up that I was... i had to. It's more that... It's, again, it's that reflection thing, isn't it?
3: Mm. Yeah. Well, I reflect well, on how yes, I am. You've got a better understanding of why people are the way they are and you've transferred that into your personal life and into your rugby career. You
1: I done? think it's really sad, though, that it's taken me so long. And, you know, I'm, I think back, I've never been... Only more so when I've been in more of a senior lo- a role in, in rugby league, you know, of some of the older ones and classes experience now having been in the World Cup and stuff. And I really took that role for granted and I'm a bit annoyed at myself that, I mean, and why should I have realised it before working? You know, I've come from mainstream where the pressures are totally different in the sense that it's just academical, isn't it? Academical? It's like that. with anything. It's academic, you-
3: if you're not uh, if you're not exposed to it or informed by it then you've got no reference point have you and uh, a lot of the things that I say to people now and I do with people I wouldn't have done previous to working where I work now and with the the knowledge and skills that I've developed from working with children and mental health issues Um, yeah thanks for that
0: context isn't it I think context is massive yeah such an impact on empathy and understanding and and then obviously that result that has an impact on
2: people's re- people's or your own response to something.
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been massive. It's like, um, I always think about the grand final last year where we, we beat Castleford. They'd come into this grand final having lost one game all season. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very, very young, very young squad though. That I think the average age there must have been about 20, 21. And I think it was 10 all at half time and they went into the changing rooms shouting and screaming at each other. Whereas we went into the changing rooms, well, it's ten 0 We were still in it, and it was that mindset. You know As but it, it was really weird because I'm in the middle of a grand final. We want to win, but there's also a part of me that wants to go to one of the. There's one of the girls that I always check in with her after a game now, and I walk into the tunnel next to her, and I want to go. It's okay, you're doing all right. That's not my job at that point, and I think the way I'm as a teacher now takes over everything that I do, and it's really weird because. 18 months ago in that set I'd have walked past her not laughed at her but taking it as a, a real upper hand that she's losing her mind a little bit and I'm completely in control as now I've got that real that you say that kind of empathy and I want to make sure I'm like no mate you're actually doing alright just because it'll be fine and it's weird so I'm just I think as my rugby career comes to an end I don't mind doing it as much I'm not under pressure I'm not fighting for a World Cup place or anything like that so I feel like I can do now as long as I'm still doing what I need to do for my team.
0: If you were to um, ever to go into coaching or anything like that, I'm not sure if that's something that you've got your eyes set on in the future. Do you think it'll impact on the way that you coach and the way that you support players and people that you work with?
1: Yeah, I don't ever think I could be a successful coach. Not in a, I wouldn't be successful myself, but I don't think of a high level team because there needs to be a fine line between. Somebody needs to be, you know, that kind of um, social and emotional kind of person to help out. And then there is an element where you do need somebody to be a bit cutthroat and a bit harsh because that's sport and that's elite sport for you. If you're not good enough because as a team you didn't gel or you didn't do what you were told, that's because you weren't good enough at that point. It's not to do with, you know, you might not just done a play properly or you might not have spoken to each other properly or whatever. There's a, I think there's a really fine line in sport between the two. Um and I don't think as as a I love teaching because it's about exploration and finding out and, and seeing what ticks. Whereas sport is very black and white. You have to be good in order to win. Well, I think we're gonna hope,
0: we're gonna draw together there um, and come to a bit of a close. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, thank you. For yeah, that, that. Was thank you that was phenomenal. Honestly, unbelievable. Um, no, thank you. It's been a real insight into kind of your journey through rugby and. and you know, slipping into SEMH teaching and covering that sort of topic of pressure as well. So, I thank you from from
2: all of us for giving up your time. Um, what we'll do with? No, thank you. It's been good. I think, I think we're going to go on to Luke's line. But there's been a bit of pressure because I think halfway through, <laughs> halfway through the, ironically, halfway through, uh, boom, towards the end of this, I've just looked at Luke and gone, mind, have you got a Luke line? And, he, and he's kind of just going, ah! Pressure <laughs> was on to get Luke's line. That was not done on purpose, by way. That's just uh, another insight into Mitchell's organisation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, do you know what it was?
3: Honestly, Daniki, I found you so fascinating that I just, I didn't even say much in that video because I was just thinking roast by what you were saying anyway um luke's line is usually quite short but i'll make it a big one since as i've not said much on this one here we go pressure is only what you make of it and what you put on yourself don't ever let the pressure exceed the pleasure pressure is a privilege it only comes to those who earn it pressure has the power to create a diamond
0: but it has to be the right pressure
1: wow well, nice That's nice that one. i like it i like it
0: right thank you for listening again guys follow us on Twitter it's at 3 It. it's available on all or uh, the majority of uh, where you, wherever you find your podcasts you'll be able to find yeah, them on some good outlets and some rubbish ones too yeah definitely <laughs> um, follow us on Instagram uh, we're on YouTube Spotify Apple etc and get in touch if, you, if you've if you got any feedback or you want to be a whippet please get in touch thank you again for listening. thank you yeah, cheers guys Thanks.
3: Guys. cheers